Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. I'm going to pray because I'm like jittery, too much caffeine, and been up for way too long, and there's a lot of you, so let's pray. God, I have nothing worth saying, only your words. So God, I pray that you just use me as a vessel to speak to the people who you've brought here. God, that it will be clear, um, that it will make sense, but most importantly, that it will transform hearts hearts maybe of stone to flesh, hearts that you've already saved, God, that you continue to conform them into the likeness of your son through the preaching of your word. So God, I pray that in all this, it just brings you glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey guys, so I'm David. For those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the pastors, and I get the privilege to preach to you on Easter, and you have no idea how excited I am, seriously, because here's the deal. This is how I roll. I love to tell people about Jesus. Like, evangelism is my thing. I just love it to death. Like, and so when I see a bunch of people in this room that I don't know, so I just assume. If you're either on mission with me or you are the mission. So I don't know if you're saved or not, but we're going to preach the gospel all the way through this Hebrews 2, 5 through 11, and just talk about it. I'm going to break it down. Here's the gospel. It is that Jesus Christ, who was God, is God, and always has been God, stepped down out of heaven from his kingdom, took on flesh as a baby, helpless, literally helpless, humbled as could be, lived a perfect, sinless life, died the most gruesome, horrible death that you can imagine, got buried, and then rose again. You're like, okay, why well, I know that. Well, we're going to break it down even further. All, that's what we're here for. And, and I want to just share this with you. This is Romans 1.16, the, just the power of it. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for, for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. Here's the deal. That power of God for salvation, that is the power that resurrected Jesus up out of that tomb. That's what did not leave him in there for a, a day four. It is that power that resurrected him and brought him out of that tomb. And here's, here's the big idea for today is this, is that we all want to live in resurrection power, but without the suffering and death that comes along with it. Because for Jesus to be in a tomb, he had to die. He had to suffer in order to die. And the, the reality is, is none of us in our lives want to suffer. None of us want to go through hard times in our faith or just in life in general. I'll give you some examples. For one, I love listening to ESPN radio. It's 99% of the time what's going to be on in my car unless my wife is in there because she does not care about what the Cardinals are doing or the Blues are doing. I do. So I'm listening to There's this commercial that's been on for the past few weeks that says, you don't have to change your diet. You don't have to get off the couch. You don't have to do anything. If you just take this pill, you will lose weight. That sounds wonderful. But the, the, my... Get what you want minus the suffering. Um, my kids, they've been playing basketball since October. You know, they all want to be great at basketball. You know what kids don't like to do? Practice free throws. 
They don't want to do the hard, boring, just monotonous things, the tasks that you have to keep doing and doing and fine-tune those skills. They want that power, that success, without the suffering and the hard work that comes from it. We want healthy relationships, but as soon as there's a tough spot in our relationships, as soon as they start to press in on you and you're suffering a little bit and it's hard, you'd rather jump to the next relationship than you would to suffer through the times that will bond you together with that person. And so we just jump around from relationship to relationship instead of suffering with that person. But then when it comes to Jesus, what we do is we say, yeah, I don't want to go to hell. Now, whether you're in here or not and you believe there's a hell or you don't believe there's a hell, here's the reality. Whether or not you believe that, none of us want to go there. None of us want to spend eternity in hell. Like if you do, there is something seriously wrong with you and you're beyond the counseling that I could give you. For sure, all right? So there's that. So, but what we want in this is that we, we don't want to go to hell, but we don't want to suffer like Christ and to see that resurrection power, which is what saves us. We would rather just live our lives happy-go-lucky, never have a hard time, never go through anything difficult. And the reality of it is, is that is not normal. That is not the norm for a Christian life. And I'm going to show you that from Scripture. And for many of you who are part of Heights and you've been here, and you, and you can see, every, literally every chair is filled. We brought in extra chairs. Satan does not like when churches are trying to be obedient and trying to chase after God and his will, and he's going to try to over and over again to attack. And he has. He has been on us. So for some of you in, in here today, you, the past year has been hard. For those of you who know me, you know the past six weeks of my life have, and my family's life has been extremely hard. And yet God is not wasting any of that suffering at all. And we can see this all through this text because God is restoring all things. And that's why I want you to see first is this, is that we were always meant to rule with Jesus. We were always meant to rule with him. Not to suffer and not to be oppressed by the things of this world, but to rule with Jesus. It's what it says there in verse 5. For it was not to the angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. So what he's saying there, I'm going to break this down. I want you to understand this. I want you to grasp this. Angels were not meant to ever rule this world. God created all things. He spoke it all into existence. Jesus did through him and by him and for him. All things are created. And what his plan was is that you and I would rule and have dominion over all things for all time. That's the plan. That was what he specifically gave Adam and Eve as their role. But Adam, the first man, squandered that. He failed to fulfill what God's called purpose on his life because he chose sin over God. He chose the creation over the creator. And then what happens then is Jesus, the second Adam, the second man, he comes along and he redeems all of that. He puts it back in place to what it was supposed to be, which is what Genesis 1, 26 tells us. Then God said, let us, us being God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, let us make man in our own image after our likeness and let them have dominion. So power, ruling power over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. This is what we were created for. And you think, well, what does it have to do with Easter? Because without a resurrection of Jesus there's no chance of this ever again. We'll never get back to it. We can't fix it. 
We can go to green cars and all these zero emissions. We ain't fixing this. It's broke. We broke it. We chose sin. And he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix it. I'm going to fix it. There was the fall there in the garden. And, and we, because of that, we're, we're separated from God. And he says, I'm going to step in. I'm going to take on their likeness. And I'm going to live for them. And I'm going to redeem them and restore it. He's not just redeeming it so that you don't go to hell. He's restoring everything back to the way it was meant to be. And so you're thinking, well, what am I going to do with that? Like, how do I process that? Well, you sit in and know that, hey, no matter what you're going through right now, there is something so much better awaiting you. Because the reality is, is when you would ask most Christians, or maybe even non-Christians, you'd say, who's going to rule in eternity? 99% of the time, people are going to say, Jesus. Yes, and amen. You are right. But also, you, me, us, the believers, the sons and daughters of God, who he's redeemed to himself. That is the, pur- the purpose of what we are supposed to do. Right now, we're only merely experiencing a taste of that. Just a taste of it. Jeff read from Ephesians 2. It says that, the, that many people are following the prince of the, the powers of the, of the air. That is Satan. He is the prince of this time, this season. God has given him somewhat of a leash, a little bit of room to go and to wreak havoc. And God is sovereign. And he's in control. But for a time, a season, Satan is doing what he does, trying to kill, steal, and destroy. But one day, that will not be because we are co-heirs with Christ. Scripture tells us we are co-heirs. We inherit, inherit all that Christ is, all his righteousness. We get to rule with him. 2 Timothy 2.12 says we will reign with Jesus in eternity. We will reign with him. Just think about it. That's what is being restored. That's what his resurrection brings. Not just, oh, you don't go to hell, which is amazing. But yet we get to be with him, the creator of the universe, reigning forever. This gives us hope. Because we can know that the suffering we face now is only momentary. Because we will reign for all eternity with Jesus. And you say, okay, well, why would God do this? Why would he do this for me? Why would he do this for humanity? We're so messed up. We do so many dumb things. We, we just were sometimes mean, cruel, inhumane people. Why would he do this? Well, I am so glad you asked that question because it leads right to my next point. God cares for you. Sounds so simple, sounds so elementary, but yet it is so important that you get it and you grasp it and you understand that God cares for you. Verse 6 says, what is man that you are mindful of him? This is talking about God. Why would you be mindful of us? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, this is talking about Jesus, but it's also talking about us because this whole thing, that whole section there, is just a part of Psalm 8, which I find ironic seeing that we've been preaching through the Psalms for the past nine weeks or so. This is what Psalm 8 says. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him? 
Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. The God who created all things and set all things into motion and who is sustaining all things right now, it's the God who cares for you. He is mindful of you. When Jesus went to the cross, he had you in mind. He wasn't doing it just because. He had you in mind. He knew that he was taking on the sins of each and every one of you, me included. He was going to the cross with you in mind. He is mindful of us. And when he resurrected, it was the ultimate sign of how much he cared that God would raise his son from the grave and say, I'm fixing this. I'm fixing what was broken. I'm putting you back in the place where you're supposed to be. That's how much he cares for us. When you cared nothing for him, when I cared nothing for him, and you think, well, I'm a good person. No, you're not. You're not a good person. I'm going to break the news to you on Easter. Happy Easter. You're not a good person. I'm not a good person. We are sinners. The Bible is clear about that. While we were still sinners, while we were enemies to God, he loved us and that he sent his son to die for us. Not when you were like doing good things. He didn't say, man, maybe they do deserve it. You didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. And he loved us. I just want you to get that, that he is mindful of you. And so because he's mindful of you, we have to accept the fact that there is going to be suffering, but it's not meaningless. There has to be suffering and death for there to be resurrection. Okay? There has to be suffering and death. If Jesus came and lived and did a perfect life and he taught some really good moral things and he healed some people, you know, he spits in the mud, he rubs it on the blind guy's eyes and he can see fishing, you know, multiplying in the loaves and he turns water into wine and all that stuff, that'd be great. And he just kept living and teaching us good things. It would have still left us in our state of sin, separated from God because he would not have died a sacrificial death for us and then rose again. Like there would, be, there would be no point in it. There would be nothing to it. And so I want you to see that there has to be suffering and death for there to be resurrection. It says here in the scripture that Jesus crowned with glory and honor there in verse 8 because of the suffering and death so that by the grace of God he might taste death. He'll experience death for everyone. So he experienced the, the full wrath of God, the total wrath of God, so that you would not have to if you have your faith placed in him. That's what he did. But there had to be suffering and death to get there. And so you think, well, what does that have to do with me? Well, when we suffer in this life, we're being made into the likeness of Christ. We're being made like him. See, when you get saved from your sins, the Bible says that you're a sinner and you get saved, it's not done and you just move on and now you just go about your business. You are continually being saved. You're justified. You're found now justified in the eyes of God when you become a Christian. And then throughout your life, you're doing what is called being sanctified, which we see there in verse 11, for he who sanctifies, so he's sanctifying us, making us more like Jesus, he uses that suffering to do so. Through his resurrection power, he is resurrecting you to new life. He is making you more like him, and it should not surprise us then. And scripture tells us it shouldn't surprise us. First Peter 2, 20 and 21. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if... 
when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. Peter, who walked with Jesus for three years in his earthly ministry, who suffered greatly himself post-Jesus ascending to heaven, is saying that you will suffer. It is a good thing. You may think, I don't feel that it's good. Well, I can tell you from my own personal experience, I can see how God is changing me, making me into a different man, more like Jesus and less like David, which, trust me, is is a good thing. Thank you. See, I knew it was coming. I knew someone was going to do it. It would have to be Aaron. He's doing that. It's good because he suffered. And he's giving us that example that we would follow in his footsteps. There's ways to run from your suffering and try to get out of it. They're not godly ways, but there's ways to run from it. And But Peter goes on in, in chapter 4 of 1 Peter, and he says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. So don't, this isn't like, oh, I can't believe this is happening. As though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. His glory is revealed. He is resurrected. He ascends to heaven. One day he will come back on the clouds and we will be caught up with him. That glory revealed is that glorification. So we're justified, justification, sanctified, being made more like him. And then glorification, no longer are we not like what he created us to be. I talked about suffering earlier and in the service before. I joked about how I would love to have a six-pack, but I don't want to suffer through that because I'd have to give up gummy bears and pizza and ice cream. But when he resurrects, or when he, I mean, when he was, comes back to get us, I don't know. I'm hoping. I'm hoping. No suffering, but six-pack. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to be jacked. Just rolling around, full head of hair, luscious locks, chiseled, right off Men's Health magazine. And I won't have to suffer to get it because he suffered for me. But right now, it's showing us. It's showing us that in his sufferings, we can rejoice and be glad because his glory is what we're going to get to experience, not our own. So there's a purpose in your suffering. There's, there's, there's a reason for it. You're sharing in his suffering because you get to share in his resurrection. You can't just want to share in the resurrection but not share in the suffering. It's okay to suffer. It's not to be ashamed. And that's why, as Corey talked about missional community, like, man, this guy's talking about missional communities a lot. Some of you have no idea what that is, but it is a place where community of believers, you come together, brothers and sisters in Christ, and you get to share life together because that is what he's called us to do, that we can not only share in the sufferings with him, but we can walk with one another through the hardest times of our life and be able to be encouraged, not by some worldly advice that is worth nothing and pointless, but be encouraged by the gospel so that you can endure till the end, which is what scripture calls us to do. So Jesus resurrecting gives validity to everything we experience in this life. That's why we can celebrate Easter. But we don't just celebrate Easter one time. We celebrate the resurrection every Sunday. We, we talk about the gospel every Sunday. There's nothing else that matters. This is it. It gives us all hope. As on Facebook this week, and um, this girl I know who is in ministry, she posted this little thing and it said, what to do when a kid asks you, when a kid will ask you, why did Jesus have to die? And she gives three things not to answer. Because we are sinners, to satisfy the wrath of God, 
to satisfy a blood sacrifice. Instead, she said we should say this. Jesus healed people and taught that God's love was for everyone, and many people were following him. This made the king and other leaders afraid that he would try to be in charge. They thought that when Jesus died, people would stop following him. Instead, God gave Jesus new life to show everyone that God's love is stronger than anything, even death. That's the dumbest answer I've ever heard. All right? God has not sanctified me enough to not tell you how dumb that is. Okay? It's dumb. Because here's why. Everything that she said not to say is exactly what you should tell your kids because it's the reason Jesus died. He had to suffer because we're sinners. There had to be a satisfaction of God's wrath because he's a just God. And there had to be a sacrificial atonement, a blood sacrifice for our sins. We sung songs about him. I'm going to read scripture about it. This is what it says in Romans 5, 6 through 10. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, oh, dang, kids, I'm sorry, you heard that, that you're sinners. Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. You guys are going to need counseling after hearing this. Much more shall you be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. So much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Luke 9, 21 through 22. This is Jesus. And he strictly charged them and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man, so Jesus speaking of himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed on the third day to be raised. 1 John 4, 9 through 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is the love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation means he satisfied the payment for our sins. So yes, God died, Jesus died because we are sinners. There had to be a satisfaction of God's wrath and there had to be a blood sacrifice. We see it in the garden. When Adam and Eve died, what did God do? Or when Adam and Eve sinned, what did God do? He covered them with animal skin. He didn't just take an animal skin out of thin air. He sacrificed an animal. It's a sign that's pointing to Jesus, that he would have to die in our place. There had to be suffering and death for there to be resurrection, which brings me to my last point, and it's this, is that no suffering is wasted. There's no, whatever you've gone through in life, whatever you're going through right now in this moment, or whatever you will go through later in life, it is not wasted, it is not meaningless, it is not pointless, because the cross gives it meaning. The cross gives your suffering meaning. If there is no cross, it's pointless. If there's no resurrection, there's no hope in your suffering. Cling to that. Cling to that truth that there has to be this hope that Jesus Christ suffered and died and resurrected. It gives us an opportunity to not go through this life just thinking that woe is me, but to say, God, you've got this, not me. It's something I've had to wrestle with myself because I like to be in control. I like to have things go my way. And when you're suffering, it makes you utterly dependent upon God because you can't be in control. You can't fix it all. You can't make everything right. Only he can. That's why he died and rose again. So your suffering is not wasted. Verse 9, it tells us, like, his suffering is why he is crowned with glory and honor. The resurrection seals the deal But then it goes on, for it is fitting that he from whom 
and by whom all things exist, so God who created all things and bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Jesus' suffering was not wasted. It was not pointless. It was to bring about perfect salvation for us. And then he, he goes on and he says, for he, Jesus, who sanctifies, so making you more like him, and those who are being sanctified, so us, Christians, are being sanctified, made, we all have one source. That suffering you're going through is making you more like Jesus for the day that we will all be perfectly resurrected and be glorified with him. So your suffering is not wasted. You're bonded together. You're being made like Christ. Like think of any war movie with me or Band of Brothers or Saving Private Ryan, something like that. Those men who have suffered together, they come out of that united and tied together for the rest of their lives. Like my favorite scene of Saving Private Ryan, if you have not seen it, I'm gonna spoil it for you. And I don't know, you're like 30 years behind or whatever, so too bad, okay? At the end, you have Private Ryan. He's at the, he's at the grave, and, and he's there, whatever Tom Hanks' character was. And he's at, because like, even in that character's death, he's bonded together from the suffering that they endured together. We are bonded together, not only to Christ in our suffering, and so it's not wasted, but yet also with each other. There's my missional, I am bonded to my missional community, the men and women in there, because they have suffered with my family. I have suffered with them through miscarriages and rebellious kids and, and divorce and, and everything. We're, we're there. We suffer together. And I love, I can honestly say, I think this one's being, yeah, it's being recorded, whatever. I love them as much as my blood family. They're like family to me because we have been bonded together through suffering. It connects us. That's right. So focus, all right? Listen, I'm going to wrap this thing up. I know you got a lot of thoughts going on in your head. Maybe Easter egg hunts and, and, and bunnies and candy and all those things. I get it. Like, I, I get it. I went to three stores last night because our dog got into an Easter basket and ate some uh, Reese's eggs. You think it's hard to find a Christmas present on Christmas Eve or a turkey on the night before Thanksgiving? Good luck finding Easter uh, Reese's eggs the night before Easter in Collinsville. There was four. I owned them. So focus, though, all right? But bring it in, because we're going to wrap this thing up. For those of you that are here, that are believers, that you know Christ, you've, you've surrendered your life to him. The Bible says to confess him as Lord, to believe in your heart that he died and rose again. For those of you that are here, know this. Jesus loves you. He's not ashamed of you. He's not ashamed of your suffering. It says that here. He's not ashamed to call you brother. Right there in verse 11, he's not ashamed of you. So we're going to take communion in a second. You get to rejoice in that, that you're bonded together in his suffering. Literally, that's why we take communion, because we are celebrating his death and proclaiming that until he comes. It doesn't even mention the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 11 when we talk about communion, just we're proclaiming his death until he comes again. So we get to do that as believers. For those of you that are not Christians that are here, watching online, I want you, I want you to hear me. It's not that Jesus would be ashamed of you, but you're separated from him. And one day this world will come to an end or you will pass away. That is inevitable. It will happen. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And here's what's going to happen. And I say this to you 
purely out of love. And if you don't know me, you may think, well, I don't know about that, but I'm telling you, I want to see everyone that I can never talk to to be in heaven with me one day in eternity. If you are not in Christ, your suffering is pointless. It is meaningless. There will be no hope in your death. And the only thing I can tell you is this, is it will actually only get worse. And I know that from Scripture, Revelation 2015. And if anyone's, anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Listen, you're here for a reason. You picked heights on Easter. It's not a feel-good sermon. Don't want it to be. I just want you to come to know Jesus. And so what we're getting ready to do is if you're a Christian, I'm going to ask that you, you, take, you stand. You take communion with us. We're going to worship. And then we're going to see two people, two kids, who have made Jesus their Lord and Savior by professing faith in him because of all that he's done, nothing that they've done. They're going to get baptized. This baptism does not save them. Does not change their status with God at all. Zero. But what it shows is they're, they're here, their old selves, buried to death with Christ, risen to life, a new creation in God, sons and daughters of the Most High God, okay? That's, that's what they're going to do. There is nothing stopping anyone in this room from getting baptized. We had a lady in a sweater Think of how heavy a sweater gets when it gets wet. That was like down to like her mid-thigh, get in there and get baptized last service, okay? Now, you may say, like, that was I in plan. She's like, I'm getting baptized. I believe what he just said. Believe what God's done. And so you think, there is no way I'm getting in front of people in the middle of this and doing that. Well, for some of you, I get that would be suffering. But there has to be suffering for there to be resurrection, so I'm going to invite you to stand with me. For those of you who are believers and you've placed your faith in Christ, let's take communion. For those of you that are not in Christ, I'm going to pray that God will save you, that he will resurrect your life. And if you decide that today would be a day that you want to get baptized, there's nothing stopping you from doing that at all. So let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for your love for us, that you sent Jesus. And Jesus, I, I thank you for your obedience, that you went to the cross, you suffered and you died in our place. You died the death that we deserve. And God, that you raised your son from the dead so that we might not have to taste death. God, you are good. I pray that that goodness will just, just be poured all over our lives, that we feel that. And God, I pray that for those that are here that are not Christians yet, Lord, that you save them, that you bring them in as sons and daughters, and God, that they will be obedient to respond to your calling. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is what it says concerning communion. I almost forgot to read it. 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's proclaim his death and worship him.